Hello, and welcome to Future Construct. I'm Mark Oden, the CEO of BIM Designs Incorporated. We're here at GeoWeek 2023 in Denver, Colorado, and I'm joined today by Danielle O'Connell, the Senior Emerging Director at Skanska, Emerging Technologies at Skanska. Yes. Fantastic. So, uh, thank you so much for being on our podcast very early, um, uh, working very closely with Amy Peck on that. Um, we're so honored to have you as an early guest. Um, would love for you to recap with our, with our viewers um, a little bit of your history and sure. how you landed at Skanska. Yeah, so I've been in the construction industry for about 15 years now. I started as uh, an architecture grad, not really knowing where I wanted to go and where I fit in. Ended up um, with Consigli Construction right out of college, spent six years there exploring different aspects of the, the business and trying to understand what construction was all about. I moved on then to um, Gilbane, worked there in project management. So I spent a lot of my time at Consigli, started my career in project coordination, I guess it was. Um, and then it was around BIM and VDC were really my focus. I moved more to a project management role. Um, then I moved into an owner role at, where I worked at Massport and spent time really understanding the challenges of that organization and how implementing BIM and standards would help us achieve some of the bigger goals for the for the organization. Um, and then I met the team actually that I work for now at Skanska during that position. And I was always just kind of a, a Skanska groupie in a way. I was kind of wanted to and inspired to work there. Um, and so I, I took a short time off from the industry. I worked in software at Bluebeam. It was a tool that I always just loved and was really familiar with and could felt like I could sell it to anybody, right? So um, I went there for about a year before I moved over to Skanska, where I've now been for over five years. Very cool. And yeah. um, I, I love the concept of being a Skanska groupie. So tell us, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about Skanska. It's a multinational organization. Yeah, we are a multinational global organization. Um, our headquarters are in Stockholm, Sweden. And we are, uh, I sit in our Boston office, which is one of, of several throughout the, the U.S. Um, I sit specifically with our building unit, but we have three business units in the U.S. We have building, um, civil infrastructure, and commercial development. Very cool. And yeah. what are some uh, what are some recent notable Skanska projects, and maybe some that you've you you may have been a part of? Um, I'll I'll share Moynihan Train Hall in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, I got to walk through there. I had visited during construction, and then I got to walk through, and just seeing that space was unbelievable. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And um and and where's your involvement in in Skanska? Um, your focus yeah. on emerging technologies, and yeah. and how do you um you know what, what does that focus look like, sure. and how do you bring that focus into Skanska? Yeah. So um, my team is pretty small. We're about six people, seven people nationwide, and we roll up under our strategy organization, under our chief strategy officer, Anita Nelson. And so we've actually been really well aligned over the last couple of years with um, our business development, our marketing team, and just our, our strategy around, you know, what should we focus on as a business? Uh, our business plan falls under that strategy as well. And so we work across the nation, as I was saying. Um, the majority of us do sit in Boston, but we travel to our project teams, uh, to our offices in different parts of the country to better understand what the challenge is that the organization or a specific project team or client is having and try to align solutions, people, process to, to help overcome those challenges. Um, so it's a really exciting time. We are encouraging innovation. We are encouraging people to try things. It's okay if it's not successful. And, you know, we think about how do we overcome that, you know, pilot maybe not being successful, learn from it, and move on to the next one. 
Very cool. And, and you were on the keynote panel this, this year at yeah. GeoWeek. Um, very impressive job, and you, you provided lots of great contributions. Um, a couple of the items that I'd love to, to dive into. Uh, the keynote seemed to focus uh, quite a bit on uh, not just seeing technology as technology, but really trying to understand um, what the core needs are of mm -hmm. a client or, or an individual or, or you know, a, a customer, uh, and how to apply um, certain processes to make the right decisions to see if this technology is, uh, is appropriate to, to bring into this project or this company. Um, so one of, the, um, one of the ideas that you talked about was change management. Yeah. Um, once the decision is made to adopt a technology, there's a whole process of change management. Um, so can you guide us through a, a little bit of your, how you personally see change management and how, sure. how, how you've impl implemented that at Skanska and seen the successes of that? Yeah, I would say change management is actually something that I think gets overlooked. And uh, one thing that came up on the panel discussion was that we often think of implementing, piloting, adopting a new technology as a technology project, but really it is that bigger change management. We are looking to implement a tool to make a change to the way that we've been working for however many years, right? So we have a tendency in construction to not really want to adopt anything unless you can figure out a way to align it with, hey, we're building buildings, right? We're doing things the same way. We're just finding a better way to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's part of it, right, is understanding what is really getting to the baseline of and the root cause. What is that challenge? What is that problem? Is it something that happens consistently on several projects? So we have a lot of um, groups, committees, councils in place within our organization that analyze what are the challenges and how are they consistent across the country? Are they happening, you know, more specifically regionally or, or in a certain office? But we reevaluate those probably about every year, every year and a half. And so every solution we look at, we're trying to make sure that we are understanding, you know, how are we going to get there? How are we going to help solve that problem? Um, and so, yeah, the change management process, come back to it, is just thinking through, again, not necessarily reinventing the wheel. We are still building buildings, but maybe we use a, a simple example like automation. How do we leverage Power Automate, for example, to uh, enable the clicks to happen between different systems? So I think about our accounting system and our project management system so that it saves somebody time and ultimately reduces burden on mm -hmm. our project team. So thinking about things like that um, is really what we're focused on. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing the insights into change management at, at Skanska, Danielle. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear another topic that was brought up at the keynote. In fact, it's, it's something you, you specifically contributed was this concept of mobile app fatigue or, or generally app fatigue. Um, would really like to, to drill into that and understand um, what are you seeing when it comes to app fatigue and, and, and what are you driving for? Yeah, so I guess the example that I, I use is probably relevant to a lot of people, but Every time I fly on a different airline, I was saying I have to download another app. And it was something that I, I had experienced the night before. And I'm like, oh, now I've got to remember to delete this when I'm done, or I'm not going to fly on that airline for another year, or whatever it is. So I think about that when I think about all of these great solutions on the market. And our team's coming to us you know, weekly saying, hey, I want to try this thing, or I have this problem to solve. One of the big things that we often have to just step back and ask ourselves is when we're talking to a vendor, does it integrate with an existing tool? Because I fear that if we try, you know, four different new applications, technologies, uh, process improvements on a project that we're going to get people, we're, instead of reducing burden like we really want to do and create that operational efficiency, we're actually going to cause them to be overwhelmed by, oh, now I have to do my job, but you want me to do it this way and this way and this way and this way. And so we really have to be thinking about that. So we're often asking, what 
is the tool, does it integrate with our project management system, for example? So now it's one less place that everyone has to go to experience the benefit of that application. That's, um, that's a really uh, impressive observation, uh, and, uh, and I really feel like you're setting the stage for the future in that one. Um, and, and, and I heard uh, during the keynote that um, it's, it's, it's a metric uh, or, or a condition that you use in making a decision. Yeah. Uh, is it either uh, existing or is it on the roadmap? Yes. Um, how important is that to you? It's very important. I think um, integration and interoperability are going to really drive us to be successful. So, again, we're all just trying to reduce burden on our people and our teams, on our clients, our projects. So we have to ask that every time. And I think the first question that I ask almost every vendor we work with, do you integrate with Procore? Mm -hmm. Right? Like that, it seems like a really easy, straightforward question off the off the bat. And if they say we don't today, but if you're interested in, you know, we also get like, if you're interested in that, like that's something that we could talk about. If we could add it to our roadmap, that would be an answer that would be suitable. Sure, <laughs> sure suitable. Yeah. So. Um, uh, very interesting uh, uh, similarity. I, I, uh, in speaking of Procore, uh, someone just demoed to me the model inside of Procore. Yeah. So, so the, you know, even anybody in the field or anybody along the entire project can open up the BIM model and fly through that. Yeah. Uh, and I was very impressed to see that, yeah. that that integration in there. That was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so speaking of other things uh, uh, GeoWeek related, yeah. um, uh, what else have you uh, taken away? What, what else um, are you excited about seeing? Akira's yeah. presentation is coming up. Yeah, I can't wait to see her presentation. Um, <laughs> Um, I am, I was overwhelmed by, I think, the way that Digital Twin was covered yesterday, for example. Um, they, it was broken out into more bite-sized chunks, I think, even for our team internally. And, and conveying what Digital Twin is or what it means to some of our leadership team has been challenging. But I saw different ways that it was being explained or used that I think would be more relevant. So I'm actually really excited to take that back to my team um, after the conference is over. I also was inspired by hearing the GIS um, as representation this morning at the keynote and thinking just bigger picture. Like we are so focused on vertical construction oftentimes, but how does that fit into you know some of the graphics around leveraging uh, GIS to look at sustainability and planning for floods in the future and weather like it's it's things that i don't think we think about when we're just talking about you know a 24 month building vertical construction project mm -hmm. but i think it could have so much impact and could really help us to reach some of our global sustainability goals. It's, it's incredible seeing the simulations that Esri is creating yeah. um, and, and just stunning. Um, would love to, uh, as we wrap up, just to uh, understand um, any advice that you have for early in career individuals that um, really are eyeing Skanska and, yeah. and uh, not only getting into Skanska, but being successful at Skanska. Yeah. Uh, Skanska is a great organization. It's big, um, <laughs> but there are so many opportunities there. So I encourage you know, anyone that's interested Come to Skanska. It's a great place to work. We have a Skanska Women's Network that I'm strongly passionate about. So if you are a woman in construction, please come our way. Um, if you're passionate about technology, about innovation, it could be estimating, marketing. There are just so many opportunities. And I would say as a company, uh, we are really good about aligning people with their strengths and, and maybe their goals. And so it's it's flexible. You see a lot of people move around and climb a ladder that way. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that advice and, and thank you for, uh, for your participation. Yeah. I really appreciate your support. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. It was a pleasure.
Hello, and welcome to Future Construct. I'm Mark Oden, the CEO of BIM Designs Incorporated, and I'm here at GeoWeek 2023 in Denver, Colorado. Uh, today, I have the honor of interviewing Johnny Fortune, the National BIM Director at NIBS. Thank you so much for joining us, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, uh, you were just on the podcast, just released a few weeks ago. Um, so honored to have you again with us. Um, would love to just a refresher and a reminder if you could tell our audience what you do at NIBS. So I'm the director for the U.S. National BIM Program, uh, which uh, is a relatively new program. Um, the BIM Council, which has been a part of NIBS, has been around for quite a few years, but industry leaders realized there was a need to accelerate digital transformation. We weren't really moving the needle fast enough in the industry, uh, and so they created my role to, to lead this national program, which encompasses six different work streams with different focus areas like owner leadership, standards and guidance, stakeholder engagement, legal and insurance training and education. That's so impressive. Uh, last time you were with us, you were uh, with Amy, our, 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 uh, our wonderful and lovely um, uh, podcast host, um, and you talked to her a lot about standards and the importance of standards. Uh, maybe you could help summarize why it's so important that we have a BIM standard nationwide. Yeah, it is important because it, uh, it, it enables project teams to work together. It enables those project teams to give the owner what they, what they expect, and so the, it, it provides a baseline of expectation of, of what information is going to be delivered, what format it's going to be delivered in, and ensures that that format is usable downstream. Beautiful. And, and you're working with, uh, with owners and, and general contractors and contractors nationwide, is that right? Oh, that's, that's correct. Basically, uh, with the National Institute of Building Sciences, we, we don't have one stakeholder interest. We're, we're unbiased and we, we welcome all stakeholders uh, throughout the supply chain. So it includes designers. It also includes um, software vendors and other solutions providers. Mm -hmm. So you seek feedback all throughout the year and then you turn that, uh, you, you uh, coagulate that and turn that into an agreed standard? Yeah, so we, we bring together subject matter experts and leaders in the industry, try to make sure that every stakeholder group's voice is heard, uh, and then develop consensus-based standards like the National CAD standard mm -hmm. and the National BIM standard. Yeah, so what, what are the new developments with those two standards? So the National CAD standard is a, is a very mature product. Mm -hmm. uh, it has been around for quite some time, but there were some uh, editorial uh, changes that were needed, and so that has been in the works the last uh, several months. That's anticipated to come out later this year. Uh, much effort has been gone through to clean up the language, move some of the historical content, aggregate that into a section so people can read it uh, if they're interested in the history, but if they want to get directly to the standard, it's more streamlined. And we've also taken and separated uh, and highlighted content rather that is normative or required content versus what might be just recommended or suggested. Mm -hmm. So the National CAD standard should be coming out uh, later this year. Wonderful, wonderful. And then there's the National BIM standard as well. So the National BIM standard is, uh, is definitely a heavy lift. We've got a lot of people in different work groups involved in producing the National BIM standard. And again, to your point earlier, it brings together uh, owner perspective as well as designer, as well as contractor and, and software uh, provider. And uh, that, that has been in the works and we anticipate it'll be out in the summer of this year. It is a, uh, it, it's an update that's been several years in the making, so we're really excited about it. Um, but it also has several modules. And these modules have important po components so that the project team, including the owner, can make, can make good decisions about how BIM would be executed on a project. So one of those work streams is, is uh, what, we've, what we've termed as minimum BIM, uh, but it is, it is defining if you're doing BIM on a project, it must contain these basic components yeah. for it to be considered, for it to be considered BIM. Mm -hmm. And then we also have underlying definitions 
Uh, so there's BIM is this uh, for many people is a very you know nebulous idea. You know they, there's a lot of different use cases for BIM, and so we have a complete section on BIM uses, which help define what those are. Whether it's you know reality capture or capturing existing conditions, authoring the design, coordinating the design, you know, or or delivering a record model. That's impressive. So would, uh, would there any consumer, would any, any uh, you know, designer or general contractor or owner be a consumer of this, of this standard? Or who would be the typical users? Well, we anticipate th people throughout the supply chain would be mm -hmm. a user of the standard. Uh, owners certainly could be able to use uh, the BIM execution planning component. That's been around for a few versions uh, of the national BIM standard, uh, but it's been revamped. Uh, so in this next edition, it is about making it more like a form that can be filled out, streamline that. Nice. And so it helps on the planning side, on the very front end, to determine exactly how BIM is going to be used on any given project. Mm -hmm. So we see owners being able to use that, uh, and that becomes a, a, an incredible communication tool for the rest of the project. So whether, you know, again, whether it's designers or whether it's contractors, everyone has this execution planning document that's been revamped to help everyone on the project know what the expectations are. Yeah, that's going to be great for communication and alignment. That's yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, what are, the, are there going to be any training programs related to this, or how, how is the rollout going to be? So we, we do anticipate that there will be some follow-up training and education pieces. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're working on content mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that that content is wrapped up. And as you might imagine, uh, it is a heavy lift with a national BIM standard, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of content that was in version one, two, and three, and this being version four. And, and in version four, one feature is that we're adding new content, content that had not been created. So there is the building of that content, but there's also the reconciliation of the content that was in existing versions. So right now, the plan is to have this content developed have it published about mid-summer uh, of this year, mm -hmm. and then we'll begin to launch education training programs. Mm -hmm. And we envision those to be in the form of you know, webinars or virtual events that people can join in and learn more about it. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And do you see any particular um, sectors or segments that will we'll hook into it? For example, is the federal government going to say, hey, we're adopting this right away? Or how, how, is, how is that going to roll out? Well, in, in NIBS, at the Institute, we do have a lot of great relationships with uh, federal agencies, mm -hmm. and, and many of them are on our planning committee. Mm -hmm. We have representations from uh, representatives from GSA as well as Army Corps of Engineers. Mm -hmm. uh, the VA has been involved. So we do anticipate that this is where we're trying to build this so that they can use it. Right. It's not just a public uh, tool. It's not mm -hmm. just a private tool. Mm -hmm. It is one that bridges the gap. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. I appreciate that so much. Uh, everything you're doing to, to, to build that, that standard and to build a community around that standard as well. Um, you, sp you spoke about the council a little bit. Are they, um, I'm sure there's many, many people who have helped participate in the creation of this BIM standard. Um, anybody top of mind that you'd, you'd love to acknowledge or recognize? Yeah, I would, I would really love to call out uh, John Messner, Dr. John Messner from Penn State University, who, has, who is really the chair of our planning committee. Mm -hmm. uh, he has worked tirelessly. He's been involved in the BIM council as long as I have. And before I became an employee, I was, uh, I was a volunteer for 10 years. Wow. And uh, so John has been right there all along the way. When I chaired the BIM Council, uh, John was my vice chair. He later chaired it. 
And, and he's really taken the reins of the National BIM standard and really led it forward through these last few years of development. And, and, and I'd also like to mention uh, Dr. Kerry Dosick from University of Washington, uh, who is, uh, has been a co-leader of the effort. So uh, if you can imagine, you know, there's a lot of work mm -hmm. that goes on into pulling different work groups together because it's not just one group. It's not one committee. It's actually made up of several work groups. And so it's really their leadership uh, in, in coalescing the efforts of all these volunteers and these different work groups, bringing them together, keeping them on target, that's making a success. That's wonderful. And, and to the whole team, I'm sure they've worked very hard to, to make this possible. And I'm, I'm personally very excited to, to see how, uh, how the BIM, National BIM standard will, will impact BIM designs and all of the clients that we can help uh, promote through that effort. Yeah, well, one thing we're excited about it too mm -hmm. is that the, the approach is a little bit different. We're trying to move it to more an agile mm -hmm. approach. I love that. And, and so the BIM standard as it, with this version is now more modular, which mm -hmm. means we'll be able to update some of those different modules independently without publishing an entire new standard. Awesome. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, so uh, switching gears to GeoWeek, you were on the, uh, the keynote panel. Yeah. Uh, so um, the, the topic I found really interesting, it was, it was uh, they, had, they had owners, they had general contractors, they had, they had you from the standards committee, and I felt like a huge portion of the conversation was about uh, what technology and how to, f uh, how to make the right decisions of adopting technology and not just saying, hey, we're going to adopt this technology, right? How do we, how do we talk about change management related to that? Yeah. What, what were your key takeaways from the panel? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a longtime student of performance improvement and mm -hmm. process reengineering. And, and, and as a general rule, uh, you don't let the tool make the decision for you. Like, and I think a lot of times in this industry, we do get it a little bit backwards. We go, we see a tool, we're, we're thinking, man, this is great technology. I want to purchase this tool, whatever it is, and I want to implement it. And then they try to uh, attach the value proposition to it later or the business case to it later. And uh, so I think a key resounding theme through our discussions was, you know, have a process, be a systems thinker, you know, think critically about it, make sure you understand what your need is first, mm -hmm. and then seek out a tool to meet that need or develop a tool to meet that need. Beautiful. Yeah. And I love how uh, that's, that's effectively the GeoWeek conference is let's learn from all of our best practices and let's share that community wide. Um, what, other, uh, what other exciting concepts are you, uh, are you interested in learning from GeoWeek or, or meeting? Who are you interested in meeting at GeoWeek? Yeah. So this, is, this has been fantastic. Uh, this is, I, I believe this is my first GeoWeek. So uh, I was really impressed uh, on the exhibit floor. Uh, the technology, the equipment, uh, I was just really blown away with, with how far and how fast many of these, uh, these tools and technology has advanced, which speaks to my earlier point about how easy it is to get caught up in like, wow, that is amazing and, and go after a tool before mm -hmm. you really understand the need. But it was, it's been fantastic networking with folks, uh, on the exhibit floor, uh, and then hearing some of the sessions as well. One thing I'm particularly interested in is how we are going to make this transition uh, from digital twin to smart cities. Like, how are we going to make that progress? And, and so I'm interested to find from the GIS community, you know, what, what their pain points and their, their, their challenges are with digital twin and how do we take it to the next step and how do we then coalesce this huge amount of data together to support uh, a smart city. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Very excited. As you can tell, I'm, I kind of geek out on this stuff. Yeah, so for sure. it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting time and a great opportunity. 
Wonderful, yeah. And uh, uh, at the at the panel I moderated uh, yesterday, um, it was a huge example of the practical use cases of the digital twin. Um, and uh, I feel like in years prior, it was uh, everybody was uh, speaking about the theory and what what is possible. But now we have practical use cases, and so uh, so I do uh, hope uh, that in the years to come, that that'll be a translation from the digital twin to the smart city. Um, but very exciting, yeah. The exhibit floor is really cool. It's got a bunch of drones, modern drones. Um, uh, it's got the LiDAR scanners. I mean, it's very impressive technology that's up yeah. there. Um, and that's why I love that they, they brought it home at the keynote to say, hey, let's make sure we're making the best decision for our clients based on needs. Um, Johnny, thank you so much for your participation. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. Um, really enjoyed getting to know you uh, and look forward to continuing to. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you Johnny.